Since you enjoy this show, I thought I'd throw out there another podcast you might like. It's a show about the intersection of design, technology, and the creative process. It's the Design Better podcast. And in each episode, hosts Eli Woolery and Aaron Walter bring you conversations with inspiring creative thinkers like John Cleese and David Sedaris, people who bring design and technology together like Tony Fadal, co-inventor of the iPhone and the iPod. So far, some standout episodes for me have been when they talk to John Cleese of Monty Python about creativity. That is one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite people. Then also one of my favorite musicians, Tycho, about his creative process. And they talk with Seth Godin about how creativity is an act of generosity. I've always been fascinated by design, the creativity behind it, the implementation of it, both to improve our lives from a functionality and user interface standpoint, also from an artful bringing beauty into the world approach. So whether you're a design curious person like me or a design pro, Design Better is a great listen that inspires and informs. Subscribe to the Design Better podcast at designbetterpodcast.com or in your favorite podcast app like the one you're using right now. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where we talk to successful friends and influencers about how they manage their time, prioritize their tasks, and take steps to avoid burnout. This week, we're going to talk with Craig Jero of TimeManagementNinja.com. We have a really good conversation about a bunch of different things regarding time management, productivity and tools, as well as technology, and even goals and motivation. This is probably one of those ones where I think you're going to need to go back and listen to it more than once to get everything out of it. But you can follow along in the show notes if you are not out and about listening to this by going to beyondthetodolist.com slash 20. Yes, the the number two and the number zero. So follow along in the show notes and enjoy. This week, it's my privilege to bring to you Craig Jero from TimeManagementNinja.com. He'll sneak up on some tips and I'm sure tell us more about time management. Welcome, Craig. Thank you, Eric. Glad to be here. So I've been, I realize now in talking, you've been doing your blog for what, about three and a half years yeah, about three right? and a half years. I think it'll be four years this summer. Man, that's, that's you know, honestly, in blog years, that's, which I don't know that I've ever heard anybody use the term blog years, but I'm coining it now. Um, I like, <laughs> in blog years, that's good. I'm proud of it. And yeah, it's, it, I like that term blog years because so many of the people that I started, you know, looking up to as I was blogging, there's many of them that are no longer blogging. So to do a blog for that long, I encourage everybody to to go for it. So your blog, Time Management Ninja, really dips into, I mean, obviously, you've got the primary branding of time management, but you also talk productivity and goals and motivation and technology. And I definitely want to touch on all of those. But I first wanted to ask, okay, time management, why did you decide to go with that as far as your branding? How long have you been a productivity or I should say time management ninja or ninja in training? (laughs) Time management, productivity, I I kind of use them interchangeably. Productivity, life hacks, some of those have become more popular uh, in recent years. But time management's kind of always been the foundation. Um, And some people call it life management. But for me, it's always been a passion for me. And and it goes all the way back. uh, I can remember even back in high school, I was obsessed with time management. I got into the whole Franklin Day Planner thing. And uh, ever since, you know, it's been a passion of mine, you know, trying to manage my work and uh, you know, I've come up through the day planners, through the technology years and you know we've had great things like Palm Pilots and you know now we've got our iPhones and things like that. So for me it's always been a passion of mine, productivity, time management and then of course yes as you mentioned I also talk quite a bit about goal setting and uh, technology is obviously a big passion of mine as well. Yeah, I especially love your take on the iPad mini and we'll definitely talk about that a little bit. Yes, my favorite so, current device. Yeah. So I want to start off and ask you the question I ask everybody else, which is, in an ideal world, how do you start your day? 
in an ideal start of my day, uh, I'm definitely up before most people. Um, <laughs> I actually get up as early as 4 a.m. some days. And uh, this actually goes way back to those Franklin, Franklin days. Um, I work from about 4 to 6 a.m. It's my quiet time. It's when I like to write, create. You know, it's the one time I can get, you know, a, t- a time to myself. I have kids. I have a family. So that's the quiet time in the morning that I can get up and, you know, really kind of isolate myself and get some work done. Uh, some people kind of uh, laugh when they hear how early that is. But for me, it's about finding that time of day that I can get that work done uh, without interruption. Um, after that, I would definitely uh, continue my day with a workout. And again, in my ideal day, I've already done, you know, two hours of creative work and a workout before I even hit the office. Excellent. So that's, that's my ideal morning. Yeah, does it happen that's... every day? No, it doesn't happen every day. <laughs> but uh, that's how I like to start my day. Yeah. And I can, I can see that because I see you on Twitter when I'm up at like about five o'clock and I'll see, good morning, <laughs> I'm working. And, and that's how I knew you were traveling this morning as I saw you tweeting that early. Did, did you have a hard time? I mean, you say you've been doing that for a while now. Uh, mm-hmm. since, since way back in the, in the day when you started doing this, um, how hard of a habit was that for you to, to form? Well, the early morning thing, it can be a tough habit. I mean, there's definitely nights where I, I intentionally go to bed early so I can get up early. Um, obviously I can't be totally sleep, sleep deprived there. Although I do have one advantage. Uh, I was a, a Naval officer for six years. Oh, a little yeah. known secret. I think the military is actually one big government experiment in sleep deprivation. So <laughs> Um, I do have that going for me, but, but, um, I don't know. I think it's all about finding when the best time of day for you to work is one of my, one of my close friends, uh, Mike Vardy, he's the opposite of me. He's a night owl mm. and he'll stay up till all hours of the night and into the morning working. Whereas I'll go to bed early and get up early to do those early morning hours, four to six. But for, you asked how to do it. I think that if you're looking to try and make that shift into a, a morning or an early bird type schedule, do it a little bit of a, at a time, you know? Set your clock a half an hour early and then maybe another half an hour earlier until you get an extra hour in your morning. You get an an extra uh, head start on your day. And I'll tell you that, you know, when you get stuff done before the rest of the world's even up, it's a great, great momentum to carry into your day. Yeah, definitely. I've found that I've been doing that myself. I've been going through a former interviewee on the show, uh, Andy Traub and Andy Traub's book, um, Early to Rise, 30 Days to practice doing that and it's a really great book it actually just came out mm-hmm. um and i've been go i was one of the early testers you know got in free on it got all the copies and stuff and and uh have been going through that as reinforcement and it since the beginning of january and that's been really helping me finally get that habit knocked back into place the the most productive times in my life have always been and always been when i've been waking up early and getting stuff done actually to take a step back real quick Mm-hmm. You with time management, so you're you're really using that interchange, inter, sorry, interchangeably with the word productivity and you know organization and goals. I mean, we're we're all the term. One of the things I hate a lot of times is all the different you know productivity or time management or whatever type terms where they all get kind of jumbled up. And I think, like you said. Prior to us hitting record, time management is really great usage for your brand because it's really self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. How, how do you feel about all these different like productivity buzzwords? Um, I really don't have a, a, a problem with the different buzzwords. I mean, it, it's really just different terms for the same thing. Um, you know, from time to time, I'll get somebody who says, you know, something kind of smart aleck like, "You can't manage time; you can only manage your choices." Okay, that's kind of saying the same thing, right? <laughs> yeah. But it is. It's about managing what you get done in your day. And and to me, time management, productivity, it's all about getting done what's most important to you in the face of everything that, you know, life's going to throw at you in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, things always come up. There's interruptions. There's unexpected things. That's life, right? But are you getting the most important things done, the things that you would put at the top of your priorities? So to me, that's what time management is about. And again, whether you want to use that interchangeably with productivity or Life hacks, those are just different terms that I think all kind of interrelate. Yeah. So then in their blog on the category of time management, what, mm-hmm. what have been some of the the best things like advice-wise that you've been able to give, whether it's regarding like saving time, you know, not spending time in the wrong places or spending less time on actual work so you, you're getting more done in less time or, or even just budgeting in it or calendaring it? Do you have mm-hmm. any – 
just what what's some of the just the if, if you could say the what's the best of time management from time management ninja what would you say okay well i i liked one of the themes you just mentioned there it is one of my my favorite themes which is choosing what not to do mm-hmm. and and, I, and uh one of the phrases i like to use is defend your time because there's so many things throughout our day that want to take our time whether it's other people or interruptions or advertising or solicitations whatever it is so it used to be easy when you just had a desk phone, right? And it might ring or it might not ring or somebody might not knock on your door. Now you've got social media and 16 different inboxes and different channels. So I'm real big about defending your personal time. And I think it falls into a couple of different categories. One is, again, stopping those interruptions, protecting your time. Um, for example, I've got my uh, iPhone in privacy mode right now, so we won't be disturbed. But as well, um, it's about you know, making sure that you put your time first. And, and that comes back to, you know, choosing what not to do. Um, a lot of people, when I first work with them, they tell me, and of course the cliche, I don't have time to get everything done. So my question back to them is, well, what are all the things you need to get done? And one of the first uh, exercises I do with some people is to make them make what I call an obligation list, which is a list of everything in their week that they need to do from work to personal, to social, to, you know, church, to, everything in their life. And, and, you know, sometimes they're surprised there's not as many things on that list, or sometimes they're surprised there's 200 things on that list and there's no way that it's going to fit in your week. So I, I am a big believer and you have to make some hard choices about what you're going to put in your day, what you're going to put in your week, and you're going to have to say no to some of those things. And as well, there's obviously some activities in our lives that may be fun, but may not be the best use of our time. You know, watching three hours of TV a night, you know, Take that out over the course of a week, mm-hmm. a course of a month, and start adding those hours up, and you'll scare yourself how much time you're spending. I've had that scare happen. Yes. It's pretty bad. Yeah, definitely. So definitely figuring out which things, you know, not to do. How do you determine between what's a real fire and what's, you know, just a distraction? Oh, that, that, that's a good one. I like that. Um, that can be tough. And, and sometimes those fire drills, as I like to call them, you know, sometimes you don't have a choice, especially if it's at work and it's your boss or if it's something with your family, you know, it, sometimes they are unavoidable, but, but sometimes you need to take a look at them and, and decide, you know, is it really a fire drill, something that is putting things in danger and you need to take action, or is it just something that's urgent that may not be urgent to you, but is urgent to someone else and may need to wait? Those are, those are kind of the tough choices uh, that you got to make there. The other thing about fire drills is they tend to cover up the true cause of what the interruption was. So a lot of times, you know, you see individuals or companies knee jerk reaction to what they think is a fire drill. And then they never really kind of uncovered what caused this in the first place. And then you're bound to, you know, repeat history uh, down the roads. Um, But one last thing on on fire drills, I think that, you know, because they do interrupt their life happens, you know, things are going to happen to interrupt your day. But also, if you know what is the top of your priority list, you know, you, you can at least be working on the most important things and come back to those most important things after the interruption. Okay. Um, what about defending your time, maybe keeping people from, from stealing it, whether it's intentional or not? Is there ways to, to set that up where you can maybe by calendaring or by be, appearing out of the office, so to speak? Or li- or leaving the office. Yeah, well, yeah, that's one that's one of my favorites, honestly. Um, yeah, a couple great great themes there. I mean, I, I do think in this day and age, it's important to defend our time. I mean, I, I I like to say, you know, you don't let people steal your money, right? But you let them steal your time. It's it's this weird double standard we seem to have. And you and can like, make more money. You can't make more time. Exactly. But but then again, you're right. Sometimes it does. It is an unintentional, right? You know, the the coworker that comes by and wants to be social, at, you know, at the exact wrong time when you have you know two hours to complete a deadline or something like that. So I, there are some great tips you can do there. I mean, I liked yours. You know, getting out of the office. If if I've got an important project, I'll go work on it someplace that I can't be interrupted. You know, making meetings with yourself, scheduling time for your projects is another great great. Uh, concept that I like in terms of if I've got a project that requires two or three hours of work, I'll actually make that appointment on my own calendar. It keeps people from putting things on my calendar at that same time. I, I call that blocking your time. Yeah. As well, just some of the simple things that we take for granted. I mean, you know, we're all conditioned, right? You know, when our phones ring, what do we do? We pick them up. But, you know, the, the, you know, your cell phone is there for your convenience. And that's something I try to tell people a lot. You know, just because that phone is ringing doesn't mean you need to answer it. 
people, I think, you know, in this day and age of Twitter and instant message and everything else, you know, a lot of times people don't pick the right medium and, you know, they pick up the phone and call you when it could have been an email or it could have been a message that could have been, you know, addressed later. So, you know, you, you need to draw some lines there in terms of some boundaries, in terms of, you know, when you will answer your phone, when you're not going to answer your phone, things like that. And even turning off those notifications, you know, uh-huh. of course, you know, some, you know, not just your cell phone, but, you know, your instant messages, your email, we definitely, you know, I'd love to get my hands on the individual that did, you know, develop the Outlook little pop-up that interrupts your day every time a message comes in. You definitely need to go into preferences and turn that off. Mm. But <laughs> I hate that. Any other ideas as far as specifically creating boundaries for our time or defending it? One last thought is to set expectations. I mean, you may not have total control over your work environment, especially in a corporate environment or something like that. But if you can set expectations with your team, with your boss even, as to when you're working and when you're not. You know, if, if, if you've got a certain day that's set aside for creative work, that, that's a great thing that some offices do. Or if you set, you know, hey, here's boundaries on when we can have meetings or when we can't or when I'm available or not. Um, I, I worked with one individual who, uh, after a couple episodes where he texted and called me at near midnight and near 3 a.m., you know, we had a little discussion around boundaries and, hey, you can contact me between these hours and, you know, and we'll work, work it out. But I, I do think the expectations, and, and it doesn't have to be a confrontational conversation, but, you know, a conversation around, you know, when you're working, when you're not, and when you're available to be contacted. One last thing I want to say around kind of work environments, there's, there's this kind of whole misnomer in, in a lot of workplaces. I think this happened many years ago with the idea of, you know, the open door policy. Um, I'm, I'm a big advocate of shutting your door when you need to do work. If you, if you have that type of office environment, um, shut your door, get your work done, and then reopen your door. The whole concept of an open door policy was never about the physical door. It was about the openness of dialogue and, you know, managers being able to talk to their teams. So if you need to, sometimes you need to shut that door and get some work done. Yeah. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As I think about it in, in terms of my own experience, it's never been so much about the door being open to go in and out because I can email my boss or call him too. Mm-hmm. So it's it's about designating those times where you are available or you're you're not. Yeah, well, and actually it applies almost anywhere. I was reading uh, a friend of mine's blog the other day, and he was saying that one of the best things he ever did on his home office, he works out of his home, is to have that door on his home office. So he has that expectation, hey, when the door's shut, mm-hmm. they're in an interview or talking to someone or doing creative work, and his family knows when he's working and when he's available. It's like the uh, radio broadcast station stuff where you'd look through, you'd see the window and you'd see them talking on the the microphone, but up above outside and say broadcasting or on the air. Yes. I actually had a, a college professor once upon a time that had one of those red green lights outside of his door. <laughs> green, you're free to walk in. If it was red, don't come in. That's great. Well, the show is called Beyond the To-Do List, so I'd love to maybe go in a little bit to you know actual productivity tools and, and things like that. Like, for example, do you use a to-do list? Yes, I, I definitely use a to-do list. And uh, if you're looking for specific tools, the app I use today is called Things. It's, it's pretty popular. And it, I love it because it's simple yet powerful. The interface is simple and it syncs across all my devices. It, it's no secret that I'm a, a iPhone user and I use it on my iPhone, on my iPad, and even on my Mac. 
So then, as far as that goes, like, uh, what kind of what kind of structure do you have set up in things to, ha- and and what are you looking to do as far as having it sync across? Well, I, I think the important thing when you're talking about to do list is is I'm a big I'm a big advocate of a couple things. One, have one tool for each task, and in this case, I use that app as my to do list. Uh, too often, people scatter their their information, whether it's to dos or appointments or notes, across too many tools, and then you don't know where to go or where you last left last put something. I know that if I've got an action item, a task that I want to do, it's in one place, which is in my to do app. Um, as well, though, while I keep everything in one place, yeah, I, abs- I absolutely separate it. Um, I, I tend to separate it by work and personal, um, and then I again have an, a third section for for time management ninja and my website but um i do like it all in one place but i will separate it by you know again different areas of my life what kind of a style of usage are you you using it for are you saying okay here's today here's tomorrow here's this week here's this month how do you have that broken down i'm a big fan of the the simplest system that gets the job done so i don't go into a lot of context or priorities or things like that i have a master list and then um, things supports this very well, which is they have a, a to do. Uh, sorry, a today flag where you can star things that have to be done today. So I'll keep a master list, and then I will star the the absolute highest priority ones that I will uh, be doing today. You know, some people really there's these whole books written on how to farm your to do list. I think, but I think that at some point there's a diminishing point of returns there where you spend so much time cultivating your list that you're not actually taking action or you're spending so much time managing your list that could be spent in action. So I'm a big believer in the simple solution, the most effective solution that gets it done without, you know, spending, you know, again, your time management should be saving you time, not taking your time is kind of where I go with that. Yeah. And that for those to do apps, it, it always boggles my mind when you got the to do app where you open it up and you got to, you got to fill in 37 fields just to record the to do. Mm. <laughs> Put the action item down and hit save, and it's in my to-do list. Now, how long has it taken you to to decide on using that one app? Well, I'll, I'll be you know transparent and clear. I, I will switch apps. I, I've used things now for I think about a year, but previous to that, I've used other apps. And, and to me, it's not about one app being the ultimate solution. I think you should pick the app that best suits your style and your needs. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of apps out there. Um, previous to that, I was using an even simpler app uh, called Wonderlist, a great great app out there. It's also free, which is very nice, but it, it also has some nice syncing capabilities. It, it's not so much about the tool as much as you know its ability to suit your lifestyle. Again, there's many different flavors, many different styles. I go for the simple type, but um, I tell people you know choose the tools that you'll use, choose the tools that fit your style because again it ultimately comes down to using the tool if you have the best to-do list in the world but you never touch the thing because it's too complicated it's not going to help you out there was a point in time and actually i'm still kind of in it where people have asked me uh through twitter after starting up this show hey what what apps are you using what do you like and i have honestly said well you know i've used wonderlist and, and i'm using that impartiality right now but i'm literally at work i'm using a very small notebook and a pen. That works wonders too. And I'll I'll because the great thing is is I can write down the pri- I can prioritize it, I can cross it off literally and there's a really good kind of feeling of crossing something out with a pen and saying it's done. And but, then the pad and the pen sit there on my desk and stay there at my desk and I leave. Yeah. So so, so that's this that's a that's the simplest tool right there. It is and it's still the best tool for many people. And again, even the best apps with the best you know animations and swiping actions, nothing comes close to that satisfaction of crossing through that to do or xing out that to do on a, a you know with your pen. So yeah. that's something that pen and paper still has. Definitely. So another tool that uh, people use, and you've done some excellent posts on this specifically, uh, is email. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if there's any one – if there's any – let me – hypothetical scenario. Someone's like, okay, my email's out of control. What do you tell them? Where do you start? Uh, where to start on email? Uh, email and I have a, a love-hate relationship. Uh, email is a wonderful tool and it will be around for a long, long time despite however many social networks we create and all that other stuff. 
Um, but I do think that um, email is something that can get out of control real quick. And, and I was talking to someone the other day, and they told me they had 5,000 messages in their inbox. And I was just like, whoa. Um, so it, it can definitely be a flood that you just never can get out, get out of. Um, I think some of the best tips are, you know, you really need to keep up with it. It needs to be kind of one day at a time. You know, I try to get my inbox down to near empty or empty each day and work on that day. A lot of people like to touch their email but not deal with it. You know, you open up that email on your phone. You're like, oh, that's nice. I'll, I'll do something with that later. And they just close the email, put it back in their inbox. You know, if you're going to open the email, do something with it. Own it. You know, reply or file it or put it on your to-do list. I'm a big believer that your your email inbox is not your to-do or your file cabinet. So you shouldn't be keeping things in there long term. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the main things about controlling your email is you got to control the amount of email you're getting. You know, don't sign up for all those mailing lists if you're not going to be reading them. Um, I subscribe to a couple email newsletters, the ones that I read every week, but then, you know, I turn off the ones that I, I, I don't read. Um, as well, you know, your own email habits control how much email you receive. You know, the, the more you send, the more you get. So if you're out spamming the whole company and talking to a billion people, you're going to get all that email back. Here's another thought. Um, there's a, definitely a lot of good tools out there, uh, depending on what your email uh, client is, whether you're using a corporate email or whether you're using Gmail or whatever it may be. There are definitely some great tools out there that can help you keep your uh, email under control. Uh, one that I've been using for about a year now, which has just really changed the way I use my email, is called SaneBox. And it's a, it's a really powerful uh, system that once you set it up, it basically filters all of your email. So all of my important email goes to my inbox. And all my less important email gets sent to uh, other folders that I can read later at my leisure. So that's a great tool to check out. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Is there a way that you can say, hey, hey, everybody, please stop using Reply All? That was probably designed by the same guy who did the Outlook pop-up window. Yeah. You get me going on email here and I'll go forever. I think I wrote a post a while back, I think called my TMN's Nine Laws of Email for corp- for Corporations or something like that. Um, but the, definitely email etiquette is, is definitely something that should be taught if, if not a requirement in, in most companies. Um, I mean, I, I've seen entire companies have to shut down their mail. I saw a fortune 20 company have to shut down their mail server because of a reply all string that started and just grew and grew and grew until it shut down the entire company's email server. So it, it, it's not something to be trifled with. I mean, you want to keep your emails to the minimum number of people that need to be on that email. Uh, some people think the more people, more people they copy on their email, the more important they seem. That's that's not the case. And as well, I, I think that you know email has become abused as a medium. And I think that the shorter your email, uh, probably the better. If you're writing a three-page email, it probably should have been something else. It probably should have been a face-to-face conversation, or it should have been a document or a, pro- a presentation you produced, or something like that. Is there any kind of proper way or, or best practices in terms of? you know, triaging or processing your emails? Do you, do you sit and do a certain session for a certain amount of time, um, touch it once and then delete, you know, delete anything you can for it right off the bat is something I kind of do. But I mean, I, process yeah. it, look at it only two or three, t- your inbox only two or three times a day or not at all, once in the morning. I've heard different, different things. I think those are all great tips there, Eric. And, and I think if I had to give you just a couple, I would say, you know, a few of those you just said, which is, you know, set time with your email, schedule time for your email. I, I tend to do mine first thing in the morning, midday, and end of day. That's a pretty popular schedule. Um, but you got to resist, you know, checking it on your phone every five minutes or when you're out to lunch and stuff. So I, I do try to stick with that. Um, as well, um, I'm a big proponent of uh, reading from the top of your in- <laughs> inbox backwards. Um, a, a lot of time people start with the oldest messages, but I tend to find that if you start with the newest messages, a lot of the uh, communication strings will have already resolved themselves before you need to reply to all those messages. And then as well, I liked what you just said about deleting email. There, there's no reason to keep every single email you ever received. So delete them, archive them, whatever you need to do to get them out of that inbox. Um, again, your inbox should not be an infinite list that just goes back in time of every email you received. So I think those are some basic tips to get you started. Yeah. What about when you are in the thick of it and you're processing it and you're trying to decide what to do with it? You know, where you, when you touch an email once, what do you do with it? Do you, you know, reply or you archive? I mean, obviously I want to delete, I want to delete any email I can. 
and and what I come to is if I find out I'm deleting the same things over and over, get off that list or get off somehow create a rule for that that type of message to to never have to see it or only see the important ones and somehow flag that. But do you have any kind of best processing rules when you when you are actually required to do action? Right. Well, I, th- I think that for me, it kind of falls into three categories, either something that doesn't require follow up. So either archive or delete that something that you're going to act on right now and, and you know, you're going to respond to or, or send off to someone else for delegation. And then the third is put it on your to do list. Um, I, again, too many people use their inbox as their to do list. Oh, I have to follow up on this email. So I'll just close that and leave it in my inbox. Well, that's a that's a tricky thing because then that that important email, I don't care if you flag it or whatever you do. It's now you know floating amongst all the new email that comes in, and before you know it, it's on page three or four of your email inbox, and you've kind of lost track of it. So I prefer to put that immediately on my to-do list, so it's on my action list of things I'm going to do, and then I'll put it, you know, I'll file that email. So I know I need to do that task yet, but when I come back, I can very quickly retrieve any reference materials or information I need. Okay, sounds good. Well, I'd like to move on a little bit to the the goals and motivation side of getting all these things done. And it's one of those places where I'm real interested in because I often will find, and I'll confess, I often find sometimes that I either don't know what to do, lack of goals, or don't feel like doing anything, lack of motivation. How do we approach this? How do we actually get our stuff done or decide what stuff to do? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great Great broad question there. I, I think that for a lot of people, it, it's all about, like you just said, knowing what your goals are. Um, I wrote a post a while back about why people don't reach their goals, and I think the first thing on that list was you don't have goals. And a lot of people, mm-hmm. they, they, they think about what they want, they dream about what they want, but they don't ever put it down in, a, in an actual goal. You know, you want a new career. Okay, that's a want, but what is the goal? You're going to make a transition or you're going to start a new um, career or whatever it may be. So I think that step one is defining your goals and, and writing them down is a very powerful activity. Again, paper and pen works great. If you want to put it in your computer, that's great as well or in your journal. But I think putting down your goals does a couple things. It lets you see them. And, and, and when people see what they're actually writing down, you know, they have a couple reactions sometimes. One, they're like, well, that's not exactly what I wanted. And the, the goals suddenly change. As well, sometimes they realize that the goals that they think they've been wanting are actually somebody else's goals, something that somebody else wants them to do. And so putting those goals down in a visible format can definitely wake you up to, hey, is this something I really want to pursue or is this something someone else wants me to pursue? And I think that's the first step. And then, you know, starting is, is always a big topic that comes up. How do you start on your goals? And, you know, there's, there's lots of great quotes around this, but I think that it always comes down to that first step. And, you know, whether it's sharpening your pencil or turning on your computer or starting some research or whatever it may be or going for a workout or whatever it is, depending on your goal, whether it's fitness or starting something or whatever. But it's always that first step because until you've taken that first step, it's just still a dream. You have to take a step to making it a reality. You have to take action. And, and it ultimately comes down to taking that first step. I, I say a lot, you know, you can't finish a race that you never start. And a lot of people, I have a friend who keeps telling me he's going to write a book, but he's never started it. And I think it's been several years since he's been saying that. So you have to start. What are your thoughts on starting there, Eric? Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that uh, you seldom hear people who talk a lot get, get around to doing. I know I, I was one of those people for a long time, and then I decided, okay, I'm going to start this. Even before we started recording uh, you asked me about starting the podcast and, you know, we're both kind of on different sides of the same coin where, you know, you could – you, Craig, could start a podcast but you're doing a blog and I could start a blog but I'm doing a podcast. And for me, for example, I would love to start a blog but I know that that's not something that right now I have the the time, resource to or or motivation or effort to really – put into it and keep doing the podcast. So somebody would say, you know, for for example, man, I'm a podcaster, but I could be I'm I'm envious about so and so who's a blogger and has a, a huge, you know, amount of readers. And then on the flip side, somebody that is a great blogger like yourself could say, man, I keep hearing all these people tell me to get into podcasting. 
and I wish I could do that. But it's one of those things where, hey, if you, you have started, continue to do it. I mean, think th- I think that's one of the things I, I hear a lot of people talk using Seth Godin speak saying, hey, you got to start and you got to start and you got to keep starting and you got to keep doing things. And I'm like that I wholeheartedly believe in that. However, there's got to be a little bit of a balance flip side to it. And I'm not encouraging procrastination, but I am saying there's got to be a balance where you're not just starting things over and over and over again to never finish any of them. So there's that start something and then stay consistent with it thing. And what's that one thing that you're most passionate about to start that and then be consistent and stay with that? And then when the opportunity really arises down the road, start that other thing that fits into what you're already doing or maybe it's not. I don't know. That There's my rant. I think you're right on, Eric. I, you bring up a lot of great themes there. And, and um, it is all about starting, but I, I liked what you said there about it's about starting and concentrating on one thing because I think a lot of times people start – and then they start, and then they start something else, and then before you know it, you got fifty-seven things started, and nothing actually finished. So, I actually wrote a, a post recently uh, that was about uh, shipping, and there's that famous quote, you know, "Real artists ship." Mm-hmm. I think Jobs was credited with that originally. The idea is that you have to actually finish something. You know, you can start that book, you can start that blog, you can start that podcast, but if you're not actually going to put it out there where it can be consumed, then you know, your work really was kind of for naught. But I do think – I want to go back to starting for a minute. Mm-hmm. I think two two thoughts come to mind for me. One, you do have to pick one passion, one project at a time. Um, you, you need to pick one project that you're passionate and work on that. Um, I think that the biggest goals are best when you're working and focused on one goal. And then, yes, you can add to it later. You can add another goal once you're up on your feet on the previous one. Um, but it doesn't have to be a mountain. It, ha- it can just be that first step. In the, in the journey. Um, I actually think back, you made me think back to the beginning of my blogging almost four years ago. And if I look back at some of those first posts that I put up, and you can find them, they're on my blog, you can go all the way back in time there. I, I, yeah, I kind of chuckle at <laughs> the original articles I put up there. They were, they were tiny, they were a few words, they were a paragraph or two, and I'm sure there's still some typos out there. But um, I started. And I, I slowly got better. And if you flip, you know, if you could flip through my posts like a flip book, you would see formatting come in and photos come in and, you know, structure come into my blog posts. And, and I've kind of evolved it over time. And I think that, you know, you get better at those things that you do and you practice. So if it's podcasting, start that podcast. You know, I'm sure if I start a podcast, those first couple episodes are going to be rough. Um, a good a good friend of ours, uh, Michael Hyatt, just started his podcast, what, six months ago? Yeah. And, uh, you know, he stepped one at a time, one at a time. And now I love his podcast, very, very polished, and he's gotten better and better at it. I, I, I'm jealous. Um, but, well, and I know he hated his first, what, 10 to 15 episodes. So in that starting department, I think you got to pick that one thing. In fact, I know a lot of people, I'll go to blogging because that's something I, I know a little bit about. But, you know, I see people that start two or three blogs at once. Oh, I'm going to start this on my hobby. I'm going to start this on my work. I'm going to start this on my whatever it's too much. It's it's too much of a separation. I, I recommend that you start on one and and hone your craft. You know, get it to where you know, build it up to where it's successful, and then you can start something else. Um, but then again, don't wait. There's no perfect time that's going to come along later. You're not going to have more time later. You know, you have to make room for that passion and and start out. And it doesn't have to be a large time commitment at the beginning, no matter what you're doing. I don't care if it's fitness or if it's writing a book or whatever. You know, start with 15 minutes, 30 minutes a day, and then go from there and see how it grows. Yeah. So I think I hear what we're both saying is kind of you definitely need to start, but you also need to consider pacing and consistency. Yes. Because it's it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. I like the consistency word because – and you see it again in, in a lot of those different areas I was just mentioning. You know, people will go – you know, the typical New Year's thing where you go to the gym in January and there's people in the gym trying to kill themselves to get into shape. but it's those that are still there in July that are going to be successful. Mm-hmm. It's that are there, you know, sixteen hours a day for a couple of days and then never come back. So it, it is. It is a marathon. It is. A, it is a long journey. It's a journey, is what I like to say. And um, yeah, it's about consistency. Um, so it doesn't have to be a lot of time every day, but that consistency, that constant stepping forward, is what what leads to success. Well, and I know that one of the things that you probably look in what just the past. I, actually, I think I tweeted it today. Uh, 
things that uh, that it's hard to do the same thing every day. And how do we maintain consistency and how do we maintain motivation to consistently keep keep doing a work? Yes, I, I think that routine and habit is is a big part of that. You have to make it part of your your habits every day. And I like to say that, you know, you are what you do every day. You know, saying that you're going to work out tomorrow doesn't get you in shape. It's what you do today and the next day and the day after that. So I think the routine and consistency are important. Scheduling can be really powerful. You know, do it, do it at the same time every day. I do my writing every morning. Go to the gym at the same time every day. Get it so it's part of your life, part of your lifestyle. I like tracking progress like that. Um, there's, I actually think I recommended an app on my site today called Habit List. Yeah. You track your streaks, your, your positive uh, momentum in each of your habits. So if you're trying to start a new habit, you can track it. You, of course, can use a pad and paper. I use an app on my phone. But, you know, hey, I did this today and I did it tomorrow and I did it, you know, for six days running, um, that type of thing. Yeah. And that's that's similar to the uh, the Lyft app, I know, mm-hmm. where you can kind of do community based. Does does the uh, Habits app? Or, sorry, it's it's not called Habits, is it? Uh, habit list. Habit list. Does that have uh, community or accountability type pieces it, to it? I think there's positive aspects to both. Uh, habit list is really a private app that you're just doing your you know tracking your your stuff your progress. Um, I do know Lyft and I used it briefly, um, but yes, everything you put into Lyft is public on their site, so, so that's not something that that some people like. But uh, for others, it can be a great motivator, great accountability factor. Yeah. So so maybe it's honestly it's maybe using both apps, one for a accountability sake and the other for your own private personal stuff. Mm-hmm. And I can see benefits to doing one or the other or both. Right. So is there any kind of other motivational – what's a key motivational piece? Something that – like is there something first thing in the morning when you haven't started writing yet and maybe you're tired and maybe you stayed up too late the night before? Is there a way – I mean is it literally just the habit kick that kicks in or – is there something you can maybe talk, self-talk yourself into or psych yourself into or – I mean is it caffeine for that matter? It can be a little bit of all the above. <laughs> for me, it, it, it comes back – I like what you said there. I think it comes back to routine and, and, and yeah, when I get up early in the morning and I get in front of my computer, my body kind of knows what we're about to do. I, I do usually have a little bit of caffeine. Um, here's another one. I, I use music as, as a motivator. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, a lot of people do that for working out and such, but I have, uh, I will tell you a writing secret of mine. I have two different playlists I use and I I, I write 99% of everything I write. I'm listening to those two playlists. So my body kind of knows when I get that music on, Hey, we're here to write. So routine and environment and habit are definitely powerful motivators. I do want to bring up one other thought that you made me think of about motivation and, and getting started and pushing yourself to, to this type of uh, goal because I think a lot of people underestimate their abilities. And, and I like to say that uh, most people are stronger than they think. And I think that a lot of times people underestimate their ability to push themselves, underestimate their ability to go that extra mile. And so I, I, you know, building new skills, reaching new heights is all about pushing your limits, not, not breaking your limits, but pushing them. And I think that sometimes, you know, you see those people, I keep going back to the gym analogy today, but you see those people in the gym that are just kind of going through the motions and you're kind of like, well, why are you here? Um, if you're not pushing yourself, if you're not testing those limits, you know, you're never going to reach new levels. So that, that's, that's another theme that I think is important when you're, when you're trying to reach new goals. Yeah. Well, Speaking of new goals, I know that one of the things that people like to do is always get the new gadget that comes out. And you had a really interesting take on the iPad mini when it first came out. And I would love to to touch on that. I know that somebody else that we both are friends with is uh, is Mike Vardy. You mentioned him earlier. And he's doing an, an all iOS uh, road trip right now where he left the MacBook Air at home and he's just doing iPad and and iPhone, and I'm curious to see how that experiment goes. But can you talk a little bit more about how your experience with the iPad Mini, like what what were you using before that? Were you using a regular iPad, and then when you got the Mini, like what's your experience? 
Well, for me, the, the the difference with the mini is just the size. The the form factor is just so nice. Um, it, it's interesting because we all love the iPad, and we all thought it was awesome. And then you get this mini in your hand that's you know so thin and so light and fits in even more places to carry it around and stuff that we were like. Uh, there was a great quote. I can't remember who said it, and I don't want to take credit for it. But they said that after playing with the mini, we kind of almost thought, hmm, this is the size the iPad should have been all the way all along. Uh-huh. And it, it, for me, it's just so useful. It's it's actually ironically the same size as a moleskin notebook, basically, uh, when it's in its case. And um, it's just so small. You can carry it around. It, it, it really does fit this niche that existed between the iPhone and the uh, iPad. Uh, don't get me started on you know, phablets and these big phones that have six inch screens and I'm not going there, but right. uh, I, I just think it's a great device. It kind of fits that niche between there. And, and, and the other thing is I, I like your, you brought up Mike's experiment around an all, all iOS experience. Yes. You know, laptops still fill uh, an interesting spot in our ecosystem. I carry a MacBook air when I'm doing writing and stuff like that. Um, I don't tend to write on the iPad. I will do a little bit of idea collection and stuff on the iPad but uh, most of my writing is still done on a full-size keyboard on the on the MacBook Air. Um, but I think that you know a lot of people are, you know, they used to say, you know, we can't go without my notebook. I, I can't do all my work on the on a, on a tablet or on a phone. But I think our work, our, the type of work we're doing, is changing. And you know, there's very few people, even corporate worlds and stuff, that that need that full computer experience anymore. And I think that most of their work is done through consumption through um, analysis and through email and communication. And that's where the, the iPad kind of just really fits in. Mutual friend of ours also, Cliff Ravenscraft, I was able to meet up with him at his house, actually. And I brought my Kindle Paperwhite and my iPad 3. And I knew he had the mini. And so we kind of did a, a geek play date for about an hour where we kind of played with those, all three of them together to kind of do comparing sizes and weights and screen size and all that kind of stuff. And I was... I was so thoroughly impressed with – he hands me the mini and I'm like, oh, this feels like what it should have been originally. Right. And and it was funny because Steve Jobs said, you know, well, people are making these seven-inch tablets, but that doesn't make any sense. And now to to his credit, I have actually since playing with that mini really grown to, you know, enjoy using my larger screen iPad more than ever before, but I do know that at some point down the road, as a work tool, having a smaller, faster, you know, and hopefully retina display at some point, iPad mini, you know, to be able to just take the meetings and whip out and just type or, you know, all that um, would be great. Were you, I know you are an iPhone user, but how, how are you using your phone these days then? <laughs> I definitely use it less with the iPad mini. I mean, I use the iPad mini you know, for a lot more communication and such, and, and a lot of the apps um, and, and the web experience is obviously better on the iPad mini than the iPhone, but I use them in tandem. Uh, again, depending on the situation or what I'm doing or if I'm mobile, you know, the, the, the iPhone is still the best device out there in terms of being able to have my entire you know communications ecosystem in my pocket. I mean... You know, if five or six years ago, if you thought you'd be able to do all this stuff on one device that fit in your pocket, I think we'd all think we were nuts. No, I do use them in tandem, and, and I think they both fit kind of a different purpose. Are you full full on Apple? Like you're not using a PC, and or I, I hate that term PC. It per, they're all personal computers to me, but a Windows based machine. Are you using any of them at all? Uh, I do limit limited uh, use of my of Windows devices uh, in my in my. Uh, in my job, but uh, I try to stay mostly on my Apple devices. So okay. at one point I worried that my Windows skills were atrophying, but then at this point I'm like, do I need them anymore? Yeah. I ask that because I, I want to know, are there any just standout, just it really thoroughly impressed you type apps for either the Mac or the iPad mini or the iPhone that have just, I mean, I know you said you're using things for your to-do list, but are there any other just standout apps to you? Uh, on which platform? Uh, iOS. Um, I'm actually looking at my home screen here, but um, one that I've written about and that I love, and it actually has a place in my uh, my uh, bottom row there. My iPhone is Drafts. It's a oh yeah, little text app that it is useful for collecting ideas. When I have an idea, click on on that app. It opens up. It gives you a blank screen. 
you type in your idea and without even thinking you turn your phone back off again and you've captured that idea and and it again syncs across my devices so simple app but but very powerful at collecting ideas yeah i'll uh what i'll do is i'll actually take your your post about that and link that in the show notes um because i i myself am using drafts a whole lot i used to use it a lot then kind of fell away and now i'm using it again and and one of the things that I really like about it is is that any of those ideas in there, you can from that app shoot them into any other app on your device, which is great. Yep. Uh, any other standout apps to you? Well, we've already talked about things. That's one of my favorites at the moment. Uh, for social, I, I, I use Hootsuite a lot. That's that's my standard for for Twitter and for posting some stuff to my Facebook uh, fan page. Um, <clears throat> uh, here's a couple others. Uh, I use Photocracy. For uh, tracking my workouts, it's, you talked about the social aspect of Lyft earlier. Uh, photography is similar in that there's a social community around working out. And you can track your workouts at the gym, and then people give you props for your workouts and things like that. It's a great app there. I'm not sure I have anything else for you on that okay. front. No, that's great. I just I love to always hear what other people are using. I mean, I'm an iOS person, and so I, I don't really have anything to ask an Android person. So I'm glad when people aren't. So. Well, here, I'll throw one last one out there, and I can't believe this is back on my home screen. Um, if you told me this six months ago, I would have laughed, but I actually have Google Plus back on my home wow. screen. Wow. And uh, Guy Kawasaki, if you're listening to this, uh, he's the reason that I've uh, actually been playing with Google Plus again. I'm still not entirely convinced. Uh, Twitter's kind of my home ground, uh, but uh, Google Plus, is, is their apps have come a long way, and the, and the experience on both the, the iPhone and the iPad are very nice on Google Plus, and I've actually started setting up some communities over there to talk to some of my friends and things like that. So I am toying with that again. But yeah, I'm I'm still doing the same, but uh, still trying to not spend too much time there because I'm more heavily invested elsewhere. Twitter being one of them, like yourself. So, well, I guess as our time is kind of coming to a close, obviously I want to send people to your site, which is timemanagementninja.com. Uh, what's your Twitter handle again? My Twitter handle is TM Ninja. Uh, Time Management Ninja was a little bit long, and but uh, so it's TM Ninja on Twitter. And yes, my website, as you got there, is timemanagementninja.com, all one word. Great. Well, again, Craig, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been great to talk to you today. No, I had a lot of fun. So thanks for having me on, Eric. I much appreciate it. Well, that about wraps it up for another episode of Beyond the To Do List. Again, if you would do me the favor of letting me know you listened to the episode, that would be great. You can tweet me at E-R-I-K, the letter J, F-I-S-H-E-R. And don't forget to let Craig, Jero, and myself know that you listened to the episode by tweeting us. Again, his Twitter account is T-M Ninja. And if you really do appreciate what you're getting out of this show, please do me the awesome favor of going to beyondthetodolist.com slash 20 and following the show notes there or going to beyond the to-do list.com slash itunes and giving a rating or a review if you've not ever done so it does a great help for others to find the show as you have and get stuff out of it as well again thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next episode